I think we are live. We have a special one today. We got, we got. Uh, I don't know, is this a threesome, foursome? I don't know. Threesome? Threesome. Threesome. No, no, no. It's threesome in the way it counts, but because we're twins, it might be even bigger than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, originally we were going to do uh, Marco here. Marco, Me and Marco have uh, discussed classic mini cooper s's mark ones for about a year like almost a year now i think i looked <clears throat> excuse yes. me back on our our messages and it's been like a year today or yesterday mm -hmm. or something like that um but we also have his brother here uh his twin felipe so thank you both for being here awesome i'm excited for this we got a cool story behind the the mini here um so thanks for being on guys i appreciate it Oh, thank you for having us. That's that uh, we are very grateful. Yeah, it's Mike. So it's a, it's our honor to be here. Um, first, because we have a significant vehicle in, at hand, but more importantly, because of our family and friends. That's really why we're here. And the story behind here, Mike, is I guess we hit it off really because you're an incredible person. And then when you have this podcast, it was over the moon. But I guess it was because of your Cooperest that you found in uh, California. And it was listed, and you probably will share the story or have shared the story about this. But you had a picture of uh, the cosmic wheels with uh, racing slicks. And so I start kind of telling you, like, hey, <laughs> I know a car that those racing slicks will be period correct. And that's kind of started getting it off, right? Yeah, yeah. You still hit me up for those uh, Dunlop racing tires every day, pretty much. So. I don't know. I yes. think uh, I think uh, I might have to keep him. I don't know, but he's still got to so, persuade me. Yes, um, I think that the, this can go in many different directions, um, and we're going to make it as concise as we can. I do ap apologize beforehand if it gets a little lengthy. I'm very detail oriented and meticulous. <laughs> uh, done a significant amount of historical um, um, research on a vehicle. So without further ado. Um, the, the vehicle we have is a Morris Cooper S. It's a 1965 uh, left-hand export deluxe uh, English white with black roof. Uh, it was built late April 65, 27th of 65, and exported to Madeira Island uh, in, in, on the 30th of April 1965. So um, it sat on the dealership for a significant amount of time, and it was first registered um, late April of 1967. So the historical significance was the gentleman that first purchased this vehicle was a very um, well-known uh, racer. And he had had raced several events with other vehicles. Uh, he has owned an Isetta. Uh, he set pretty good times with that. Then he had an MGA. Then he had the Triumph TR4, uh, and finally the Cooper S. So his name was uh, Antonio Pereira, and he was also nicknamed Cookies because he owned a cookie factory in Madeira Island. Was this now, uh, was this back in the 60s when this happened? Like he got it new? Yes, he bought it brand new. Um, and, and Mike, so that to kind of give you a, a, a historical kind of reference point, Back in the days, as most of the countries that are in development phases or even developed, there was not many vehicles on the road, right? 
and not many people have the financial means to purchase a vehicle. They either use public transportation or walked and so forth. So um, at, the, at the peak of the classic mini racing history, that's when, in essence, this vehicle was purchased because it was 1967. Right. So this was kind of in alignment with Monte Carlo. Who wanted to go racing had a, a Mini Cooper S. That's basically it. Um, there was other significant vehicles at the moment, or at that moment in time. I mean, we're talking about Renault Gordini's, which is probably, if people were to search online for a Gordini, R8 Gordini, that's a significant uh, rail, rallying car. Uh, there's other ones such as the A110 Gordini. Um, but this, this car basically was the go-to weapon when you went rallying. So yes. So yes, so that's the car that basically, among all the vehicles that Antonio Pereira or Cookies had it, this is the one that really marked him for a lifetime. Yeah, this um, this story gets really interesting. <clears throat> but before we kind of jump into that, let's um let me backtrack and discuss with you and Felipe is were you guys always into minis or did this kind of fall into your lap? I know kind of the story behind it and we'll get into it. But did mm -hmm. you ever own any minis prior to this? Was a Cooper S always on your radar because of the racing history? I know you're into, uh, you know, tons of cars and rallying and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. What's your, like, your earliest memory of minis and, and wanting to get into them? So um, we were little at the time, and I remember riding in the back of this Cooper S once. It was during Christmas time, and we went to, my brother was driving, uh, his wife Tina was on the passenger seat. Now the car had already a group two roll cage, uh, the bucket racing seats and so <laughs> forth. And this thing is idling, but it had an abnormal idle. You could tell that this was not your standard car. I mean, the idle was probably at 2,500 RPM, it was abnormal. Um, and I kept hitting my head on this roll cage, but it was such a, a, a joy to ride in it. I mean, it would fly. This thing like would go take turns and just go through the roads, carving the turns like nothing, like nobody's business. Um, and so to answer your question, no, we were not into minis, but that really marked us uh, as a vehicle. Uh, it was incredibly well known. I, you know, we were not aware of it at the time, but it was such a, a hoot to be in it. And that really was, you know, my brother being such a car person, uh, it really drove us into uh, getting a connection into the Scooper S. So uh, at what what year did uh, the, your current Cooper S kind of come into play? Were you searching for one? Did How did that connection start? So, right, if I may, so, um, Mike, uh, to answer your question directly, no minis weren't really in our background. My brother had had the Triumph Spitfire. Right. That was one of the cars he's had. And that was probably his first involvement with uh, perhaps that kind of uh, car. He used to build Ford Escorts Cosworths for rally. And uh, the Mini was a car that he always liked. I understand he had a Gordini, uh, Renault Gordini, and then he bought uh, the Mini Cooper. So the Mini was in the family for many years. And unfortunately, my brother passed away during COVID. And we inherited the Mini in... 2020, right, Marco? Yes, 2020. 2020, and we inherited the Mini. So, 
Right. And so then um, that's that's how we started with the Mini Cooper. And right. then you guys basically dove head first. <laughs> yes. Researching it. And then some these parts. Yes. We'll get into we'll get into uh why I call uh Marco the NOS king, but um so so kind of go to how you got into the mini, how it kind of fell into your lap, and then let's get into the the story behind it because the story behind it is super cool. There's you, I know you have tons of pictures and articles from its racing history and rallying history. So let's jump into that, Mike. I think that prior to have the the, the picture, the car in itself is actually um, very important, as you mentioned. Uh, I would say is the pro- protagonist of this story, <laughs> but I think the man behind it. The mind, the man behind it, I think, is is just as important, if not anything else. Of course. Uh, so if maybe, um, so my brother Lidio Correa was well known in the island and and throughout the world actually uh, for uh, building cars, rally cars specifically. Um, he built uh, he built uh, he he raced the Peugeot. He built the Peugeot three hundred six Maxi. That was the the one that won in two thousand and four in the rally. Uh, he had had uh, he built Mitsubishi's Evolutions. He built Ford Escorts. He built uh, he had the the practice car from Colin McRae, the Subaru. That was a car he also built in the right. island. And so uh, the Mini was something very special to him. Uh, and so he actually started one league that was just a female league that he built, uh, where women from all from all sides of the world, uh, worldwide to compete. And the car that he prepared and the, and the, and the pilot that he taught still holds this, the record till today, 20 years later. Wow. And so uh, just to say that he held on to this Mini should speak volumes of how important the car was to him and, and the pedigree that it had. So that's probably the introduction that I just wanted to, to emphasize that there's a whole storyline between the car and, and whoever holds and- it. My brother didn't feel No, I was going to say, and that's why I love uh, this podcast because it's not just about minis. You know, we can do a, a podcast about, you know, modifications, wheel sizes, this and that. But these are the stories that I find really interesting. It's not necessarily about the car, but the driver, the pilot, whatever you want to say. And this story is is very interesting. I know Marco's kind of dumped a, a bunch of information on me. Uh, you know, ver- in messages about, you know, cookies and your brother and his racing history. And it's really interesting. So let's jump into that. Let's let's get behind the driver and see see kind of um, what the dirty details are here. OK, so I'll take the lead on this one, Mike. Um, and Go then for it. I guess, Philippe, if you want to intervene, put thumbs up so that the, we don't talk over each other. So this gentleman um, that I introduced is um, Cookies because he had a cookie factory, um, did buy the Cooper S in 1967. So as soon as he bought the car in 1967, he entered a, a rally. And this rally basically was Mount Hill Climb. So this Mount Hill Climb, to give you just a little bit of a summary and imagine, an image of Madeira Island, Madeira Island is closer to Morocco than, than Portugal. It is really the tropical uh, tropical island, which is similar to Hawaii with many micro climates, many different elevations. So although this race, Mike, was like a, a two-mile race, the elevation from sea level to where it ended was 3,500 feet. Wow. Now, 
Wow. And the, and the roads themselves, think about the Monte Carlo Riviera, where you have the twists and turns and twists and turns. That's pretty much the race from the sea level to 3,500 miles up the mountain. This is like so, a proper hill climb. Correct. And the roads were cobblestone. So Cookies gets in this Cucares. And despite many other different vehicles involved or, or participating in this race, including, you know, we're talking about... BMWs, Alfa Romeos, even a Ford Mustang V8, Cookies was flying up the mountain and he won the rally, right? He, he was victorious that time. So in, in, in 1967, he already participated in two more rallies that were really, um, uh, there was the springtime rally and another rally. And again, he comes home with the trophies with the Scoop Press. So this sets the stage to 1968. So 1968, the what we call the Porto Wine Rally, or International Rally, he gets the car into a shipping container or ship and takes the car to, to this race in, in Portugal. So actually, if you go on FIA website, and thank you to Stefan, which is the second owner of the vehicle, and Daniel for sharing that information, our car is still listed on that website as number 34. Actually, the the... TAP tag that came with the car in 1968. Uh, Stefan, which is a second owner, um, has it or had it and donated to someone who has a museum in the island. I am hopeful, fingers crossed, that one day I can bring that back and have it with the car. So anyhow, him and his co-pilot, Bila, participate in this rally. And unfortunately, and I shared with you, he did not finish the rally, not because he had a mechanical failure, but because they were doing a rally stage at nighttime and dirt roads. So Cookies was really giving it some stick. This thing was like flying through the dust, right? So his co-pilot is like... Um, he's giving he's it the cookies. Yes, he's giving it the cookies like he means <laughs> it, right? So so his co-pilot, in the midst of this darkness and, and, and dust in the air, starts having a panic attack, right? So they... They're trying to. They're passing on like slower machinery, and and and, all, and he looks at the at cookies and says, "Listen, how do you stop? Well, I'm gonna jump out." <laughs> and so cookies comes and looks at him and comes to a stop, and that's it. He didn't finish the rally, and he says, "You know, even till today, in some later, you know, interviews with cookies, he says, you know, we laugh about it all all the time about this event, but we became friends, and we still are friends." But that's why we didn't finish. So, what kind of rally co-pilot? <laughs> yes, is well, he supposed I to guess... read? He should be reading the notes, not looking. <laughs> well, <laughs> but but cookies cookies was quite a driver, yes. you know. Um, I think I think that just to understand back in the day, you know, they're not the this this team was not a factory backed up team. Everything was done through ingenuity back in the island. Uh, to give you an example, you know, the engine protection. You know, mm. at the bottom, mm -hmm. the underside. What they did is they took springs from a truck, the leaf springs, and make a protection oh. plate. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the car was even shipped to Spain, and it competed in Spain. And in Spain, what you can think about it is that it wasn't like asphalt. It was all in the dirt road. And Bolichinas had the foresight to say, you know what, we're going to make it even faster. The car at the time had a wet suspension. He drained the complete wet suspension. The car was on shock mounts. You know, that's how he raced yes. it. And then at the end of the race, he asked uh, politely the Spanish 
competitors to, to kind of fill the suspension. And out of spite, they didn't do it. So he had to drive all the way, the way from Spain to the mainland Portugal on, a, on the suspension on the bump stops and then have the car shipped to the island. Yes. So he was quite a competitor. Wow. <laughs> so this 1968, Mike, and, and basically he, he did not finish. But and like Philippe was saying, he goes to the famous now Jerama racing circuit in Spain. Right. And he takes the Mini Cooper over there. So this is a, like a 500 mile from mainland Portugal um, trip to Jerama. He gets there with the Cooper S and starts, uh, you know, watching the competitors in the racetrack. And he says, you know what, before I head out there, let me just lower the suspension, make sure that this thing is like low to the ground, as low as I can get it. That's the ingenuity behind him, right? And then he also says, you know, um, rather than re running the racing tires that the factory suggested, Mike, he would lower, he would run a, a lower size, which would allow the Goodyear tires to expand. Car would become lower to the ground, but also have more patch contact to the road. And so he lowers the suspension. I think he starts mid-pack, and there were some heated events, and he gradually starts making up the scoreboard. Well, he ended up getting number fourth out of, I don't know how many competitors, but he was racing against Porsche, Lotus, BMWs, you name it. So the Spaniards, like my brother said, got really enthusiastic about cookies and his driving skills and the Cooperess. And when they found out the trick, they played deaf ears to him when he wanted to refill the suspension and he had to come on bog stops all the way from Spain to Portugal on a 500 mile trip back, <laughs> right? So, so it was like the haha. -ha. Um, I'm sure that was super comfy. Yes. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> he he did later on say that the, the car survived, but his back did not. <laughs> um, I think soon after, about this around this time in '68, that's when the Cooper S comes and gets like fully modified by BMC Speedwell to a full-fledged FIA Group Two rally car. Now, that is so. That is that is such a, a, an evolution of the Cooper S. So the Cooper S itself, this one was a 1275, which is, as you know now, it's the largest motor they ever produced, right? So they bumped it out to 1380 cc's. Did Cookies, like, commission them to do that? Or did they see his talent and say, hey... Both. Both, okay. Both. Yes. So Cookies um, gets this Cooper S... And it gets it fully modified to FIA Group 2. 1380cc, high compression engine, um, light and flywheel, straight crack gearbox, 4.3 diff, I mean, headers, uh, speedwell intake manifold, SU carbs, you name it. Dual oil cooler, dual water uh, uh, radiator. I mean, this thing is all decked out. The grill is like protruding from its sittings from about an inch, inch and a half which we still have it today, with quick releases. It has like a few blades on the on the grill removed for additional cooling. It has SEV Marshall headlights and fog lights that were probably, at the time, Mike, and, and even today, sought after as the classic headlights to go to. These headlights actually were fitted to, this is a French manufacturer. I don't know if many people know about this, but this is SEV Marshall 
the logo is a black cat with red, with the yellow eyes. And the story goes for, that the gentleman uh, was assigned. For people watching the video, here's some new yes. old stock uh, lamps from Marshall. See, yes. I'm not. You're not the mm -hmm. only new new old stock king here. Look at that. I just don't post it. <laughs> yes, we we are both kings. So, in '69, then we we have pictures of the car already documented in in certain books and historical significant books, and the car has these headlights and the fog lights, similar to the fog lights that we use in Alfa Romeos, Ferraris, Porsches, you name it. So this car got the best of the best when it came to cookies. Cooper S, there was probably two or three in the island. This was it. This Cooper S was standing tall right next to 911 S's or RS's, you name it. That was Cookie's Cooper S. So in 69, he comes to participate in the most significant rally of the region. So there was many um, rallies that really did not have the um, refinement or the name brand as they do or did for the, the rally that goes around Madeira once a year. Uh, at the time it was a one and a half day, Mike, 900, 800 or 900 miles. This was basically nonstop day and night events. And, you know, Cookie Scooper was like flying through through these events. Um, these are so, the good old days of rallies. You yes. know, they're just like roughing it. Yes. So, so the, the historical significance of, Madeira, besides this incredibly beautiful tourist area, is the, the rally. The rally actually um, became quite significant in the World Cup um, racing in the 80s, although many names such as Ari Vatanen was already there in 1979. So it has a very long history. Uh, starting in 1959 was the first race around the island, and until today they have it. But in the 80s and 90s, the who's who of motor racing was in Madeira. They went to visit. They brought their machines. I mean, this was one of the top contending uh, events. So, go ahead, Mike. I would say that Madeira has a little bit even more prominence that the people are not aware. We, we here learn in school about the Boston Tea Party, Correct. right? They were throwing over, not tea, they were throwing over Madeira wine. Mm -hmm. Overboard. Mm -hmm. And another fun, fun fact, Mike, <laughs> that people don't know, besides uh, we being like such a small island, but uh, guess what? Cristiano Ronaldo comes from there. So people are starting to realize um, that and many, many events on YouTube, what Madeira stands for. The celebration of the independence of the United States was actually celebrated with Madeira wine. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the fight, uh, sorry for digression there, but. In 1969, Cookies participates in the racing with his now all decked out Cooper S. I mean, he, as he stated, this was the little devil. This was no comparison to the cars came from the factory. He said the idling speed was uh, anywhere. He could not take off from, from, from a standstop unless at 2,500 RPM. And this thing would go from the short uh, straights from turn to turn would achieve easily 90 kilometers an hour. I'm sorry. 90 miles an hour. Top speed of this car, as he tested in Girona, was about 125 miles an hour. On wow. This car. Yes. And this was back in the day. So um, he participated in a few more racing events, but significant part here, and I shared with you, there was a gentleman by the name of um, American Nunes. American Nunes was a man many 
rally drivers, but this gentleman is known as the Porsche man. He basically participated with 911 S's. Uh, he eventually went and ordered a brand new Porsche 911. And so the story goes that there was some delays on the delivery and he even contemplated buying a Lotus and other cars. And he goes to, um, to contact the factory about it and they said, yeah, your car is ready. And so he goes to Germany to pick up this car. And when he gets there, the car is different than what he spent. So imagine this. It's not a 911S. It's not a 911R. But it's the ultimate 911STR. In green with um, you know, um, all the works specified basically, unfortunately, to circuit racing, not rally racing. But this car is all decked out. One of probably, Philippe, what would you say? What did the, our brother say? Five or six made? Yeah, there was five made. It was a 911 ST uh, in green. Mm -hmm. It had magnesium uh, crankcase, crankcase, engine crankcase. Uh, it had a triple choke Weber DCO, uh, Weber carburetors, not DCOE, but the triple choke. The IDAs. Factory. Yeah. IDAs uh, had a five-speed five gearbox limited slip, uh, had uh, disc brakes all the way around, light lightweight body, aluminum doors, uh, lightweight uh, hood and trunk lid, um, twin plug. Thanks. But I think one of the peculiarities about the car that my brother remember vividly, because by then he was a lot younger, and and so more impressful to see the green the green giant coming and the Cooper right behind it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the crankshaft on that Porsche was made by Molly. Molly made pistons, but they made the crankshaft. Now the 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 peculiarity about that crankshaft it was made out of titanium. Titanium crankshaft for that for that particular engine, and so there were only five made with that. In fact, they broke the crankshaft in 1970, and the replacement cost then was $10,000 for the crankshaft alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Yikes. so that's the league the Cooper was competing with. Yes. So, Mike, additionally, this uh, this car was had straight pipes, and it had the, the three IDFs on either side. It was called the Green Bomb because you would hear this thing for miles, rowing and echoing through the the mountainside, and, and it was just unbelievable. So American Noon is, and I shared with you the other day, I don't think I should go into it today, but anyhow. So this American Noon and his Porsche, um, you know, the, the Cooper S and, and American Noons with his Porsche, they were really the direct competitors. So apparently the, the Porsche had approximately 300 horsepower and our car had 125. So in the hands of cookies, especially in the rain, he was always ahead of the Porsche. So Cookies was, in 1960s, the most significant rally driver in this Cooper S. It was the one that got the most accolades, the most recognition, and it stayed in people's minds even after he was sold over or and passed on to other hands. This Morris Cooper S held a lot of rich memories and events that occurred throughout the island. To say that we are incredibly honored to to have this car, have stayed in the family, and have made the journey to Portugal to go and put it in a container and bring it back, and and get it to where it should be, it's uh, it's quite humbling. 
but but I'm grateful that we have such a support of a great community. Marco has been, you know, uh, unrestful in, in trying to get uh, parts that, that the car needs. And Mike, again, thank you for the opportunity. I think that, that the Minis in itself is, is a special group, but Minis that have, you know, a certain pedigree even more so. I agree. There's a, a Mini for everybody. And personally, I think race cars are the coolest. Um, my Cooper S has some race history as well. Um, I'm trying to dig it up and it's very difficult, but, um, this is, this is cool that you, you literally have books, documents, papers that have your mini on it, the cool pictures. And I'll post in the show notes, your Instagram and Facebook. So everyone can kind of jump on there and look because you have some awesome documents showing this. Um, so this is like 1970 cookies is still racing. Wasn't there another iteration of your mini that, yes. um, it went through so, like a group five or something like that. Yeah. So cookies was a, a forward man and ahead of his time in terms of thinking, engineering, driving. And so the car, as it was sold over to, um, past hands to his godson for a short period of time of time who to man uh unfortunately our records indicate that it has had only two owners prior to my brother uh late brother Lidia Correa so the car when it was sold and um Charles Frederick aka Stefan aka Stefan I'll, I'll I'll mention him as Stefan forward um got the car already as a group five so it's in the group five spec that's when it had the racing bucket seats, pads on the doors. It had um, group five arches. It had indeed had some more modifications to the body and to the engine. One fun fact was weight savings. So uh, without getting ahead of myself a little bit, uh, which I'll get into in a little while, but they removed the, the, the license plate brackets and the license plates. So there were decals, they were painted on the front and the rear was a decal. Um, and then you acquired the, the bucket seats at that point in time when it was converted to group five. It acquired probably a special tuning one and three quarter dual SU carbs. Uh, it did acquire some German parts, contrary to the purists, I do apologize. It did not use, <laughs> no Mike, it did not use, you know, it did not use the Lucas. I can tell you the, the coil is a Bosch. I can tell you that, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fuel pump was Harding or, or from another manufacturer. And it was really for reliability. Um, so I wanted to share with you that when Stefan bought the car uh, in the 70s, beginning of 70s, he actually participated in, uh, in this famous... Madeira Island rally with it. And then he raced um, locally until 1976 or so. Um, and I do have something here. So I asked my brother yesterday. I don't know if you can see it, Mike. This is the original. Um, this is the original document for the car. And you can see it's it's been taped, but you can see here all the information and you can see that it's in March of 67 was sold, is the information. We also have this another piece of document that is entrusted to my late brother. And you can see here, it's all documented. 
And you could see underneath the tag or this mark here, two, that means two owners prior to him. So we have all the information since day one. We also, um, in historical significance, uh, we did go through my, I mean, I have some notes here, but you can see the car had all the options. It had a heater, the wheels, um, it had the dual tanks. It has all the information here. This, oh, sorry, my apologies. This is from, <laughs> oh, oh, this way, from Heritage. We have all the information. So I really would like to take a little moment here to thank Stefan and Daniel. I mean, they love this car dearly. They are, you know, we have such a great friendship now. They're really incredibly happy uh, that we have a vehicle, that we are the custodians of the vehicle. They were afraid that this historical piece of, of machinery would be lost. And to hear from Daniel himself that Philippe and I can do a better restoration than he could ever do or able of doing. Or hearing from Stefan that, you know, this car really is like a phoenix is going to be retiring in great honor. And, you know, Stefan, so the, the history of Stefan and his family is quite, is quite important as well. Um, not lesser than, than the original owner. So Stefan's family um, heritage is from Scotland and, and Great Britain. So his father was a whiskey representative in Madeira Island. They live in this estate in this manner, this big home that actually has been converted to a hotel. That's how big it is, right? With gardens and so forth. So Stefan used to work for a BMC uh, and British Leyland dealer a prominent dealer there that still probably exists and they also represented fords and other brands it was called leacock and so stefan being a shop manager at that location he was very in tune with the cars uh, the significant cars and all cars in general but he also took frequent trips to uk where on one of these trips he got smitten by the minibug i call it right he goes to the factory to BMC, he walks the special tuning. I mean, he knew these guys like they were friends. So a lot of the development that, that happened on, on Cooper S since uh, his purchase was why going directly to UK and getting items from there. Um, Stefan has currently a 998 Austin Cooper. Uh, he has had all the significant Cooper and Cooper S's that we can think about the 1070s. Um, so through this technical research, and again, uh, I'm incredibly humbled by his help. He has given us the technical details and we've managed to ignite his 10 year plus Austin Cooper uh, restoration nickname, Blue Angel. So Stefan and I chat occasionally, not as frequently as we would like to, but he's been incredibly helpful, not only with the details, uh, getting us parts or donating. I mean, I shouldn't say this, but I will say it. Mike, I have a, an NOS Speedwell valve cover plate that he's donated to me. And so as a token <laughs> of appreciation, yeah. And you know how hard those are to come by, right? Of course. Um, and so as a token of appreciation and to no one's knowledge, I did donate to him for Christmas a Wilmot Breeden NOS fuel gas cap, lockable fuel gas cap for him to put on his Blue Angel. And wow. he sends me a photo and says it fits perfectly. So, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think Stefan 
raced the car what? 1980? No. He raced from 70 to 76. So, and he probably may have done a few other events. Stefan was, uh, the, the story goes that he eventually got or stopped racing Mike. And that's when my brother got into the, got to Cooper S. Is in 1981. I have the story and I asked Stefan as to what, how he acquired a vehicle. So Stefan was living in this manor house and he was going to get married and he promised his bride that he was going to stop racing. So the Cooper S, you know, gets parked. Um, and there's wind in the island of the, the Cooper S being for sale. And apparently my brother shows up in 1981 on his driveway in his yellow Spitfire with widened wheels and a few other tweaks. And Stefan hears this car, you know, in the driveway. So he comes to the terrace and looks down and says, there's, a, there's my friend, Elidio Correa, over there next to his Spitfire. And I asked him to come up for a drink. He says, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to go up for a drink. And he says, um, I hear that you're selling the Cooper S. Is that true? He I'm goes, here yes. for more important business. <laughs> exactly. So he says, um, I hear that you're selling the Cooper S. Is that true? And he goes, yes, it's true. He says, well, you got to sell it to me. I'm ready to buy it. So Stefan goes downstairs and he says, what's the price? And um, Stefan says to him, well, the price is 90,000 skudus, which was the currency back then. It was a significant amount of money, by the way. And so my brother looks at him and says, he comes close to him. This is the spirit of my brother. So it's like, as if somebody was listening to their conversation, he says, hey, um, I'm ready to buy it. He reaches out to his pocket and there's an envelope with the money. And he gives it over to Stefan and Stefan is blown, it's taken back a little bit like, wait. And he goes, I'll have that drink now. So, <laughs> so that that was, amount of money at that time was a lot. What's comparable yes. to like U.S. dollars or pounds or something like that, euros? Um, I don't know for sure. It, I've tried to do this research, Mike. It's kind of difficult. Kind of difficult. It, okay, it it wasn't like no. a cheap car. We'll say that. No. no so he no, just he just right had right. it in his pocket and said, "All right, here you go." It was kind of the no. guy's way of saying, "This is the the price that." I'll put on it because I don't want to sell it. But if somebody has that, they'll take it. Well, yeah. yes. And only and, and there was a few other parts. Stefan is really um, a great person. Um, but he says, even today, thinking about that story, I, I chuckle how, how, pure and it, how pure it was. So he says, okay, now I'll have that drink. So they had a drink. <laughs> it comes down and says, does the car run? He goes, sure it runs. He says, you know, one of the wet suspension stuff is like kind of, or one of the suspension, there's an issue with the suspension, but the car runs. He says, we start off the Cooper S and the roaring of that engine said it all. Your brother was like, hey, I love this car. He goes, I'm going to drive it home. Can you follow me? And then I'll drive you back. And that's really how the Cooper S got into the family, right? Wow. That's how my brother got in 1981. Um, wow. He... he that's how he got in 1981. Now, we were too little to remember, but my brother in 1981, he was already working on rally cars. So Ari Vatanen went to the Madeira Island Rally in 1979, along with other prominent you know, rally drivers. I think it's worth mentioning, I think this is the first time at least documented 
that my brother is working on Ford Escorts MK2s RS2000s. This one owned by Emmanuel Pereira, who was a rally driver at the time. Uh, he still participates in vintage racing. Uh, I think that was the first official uh, time that my brother built an engine for a rally car. So in, in, during this um, historical searching of information, I did speak with Emmanuel Pereira, again, one another pilot that we became friends with. And he vividly said, oh, yeah, I remember being in that Cooper S in such and such road. And boy, that thing moved. So, <laughs> and this was in the, in the early 80s. And, so and where was this again? I, I might have missed that part. So this is in Madeira Island. Uh, okay, I was going to say it's still Madeira. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the car never left the island. Gotcha. This is the first time that it leaves and it comes to the... You know, it's except for the for the racing uh, that he went okay, to. Okay, that's how I was going to say. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I know it left for racing, but okay, it was still uh, owned in Madeira. Okay, awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother had that car, uh, as Marco mentioned. Uh, he bought it in the early eighties, and I guess then life got in the way. But that that mini, you know, on the road, it, it had just such a presence. Not only from from the sound and the smell that it made, but how it drove. Um, so my brother drove it, uh, for a few years and then he got, uh, a Peugeot 205 GTI, which is the hatchback, uh, the hot hatchback in Europe, kind of like the VW GTI. It was the direct competitor. Right. My brother got an 84, um, 205 GTI. And at that time he was also preparing and the skunk works, nobody knew about it. He was preparing a 205 GTI for the rally, for Madeira rally. Um, the car that my brother had, which he had bought secondhand, that's how pricey cars were in the island, he, pre he proceeded to prepare that whole car for Group A spec. Uh, lower suspension, different wheels, exhaust, header. He built the engine from 1600 to 1900 cc, close gear ratio, Piper cam, ECU, I mean, he built Coney shocks that he, he modified because they had long stroke to put in the car. And the car was really, really fast. In fact, you know, I remember, and this all comes to, 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 to the surface when I go back to pick up the Mini. And uh, the, 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 the friends, the close-knit friends that we have, they said, so what are you guys doing with the, with the, with the GTI, the 205? He said, are we taking it as well? He goes, you know, that GTI, I'm going to tell you what happened. I got in that GTI with your brother, and we drove. We were, we, were, we were providing technical assistance for whatever car we had in the rally, and we got in that car, and that was the best ride in my life. When your brother got to the top of the mountain with that car, he got out of the car, and the people thought it was a rally car itself. And my, my brother, Your brother turned away all calmly and said, it's just a street car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the competitors that my brother was not was not uh, providing any support for building engines happened to have a similar car and blew his engine in one of the stages. My brother plucked out the engine out of his street car and put it in the race car, and he went to win that stage. <laughs> That car stayed. My brother stayed without an engine for months because once that uh, the competitors saw how good that engine was, he didn't want to give it back. <laughs> uh, I think, Mike, this kind of leads to. I'm gonna try not choke up here. 
the incredible person he was. Mm-hmm. Talented, giving, caring, a genius, mechanical genius. I mean, I'm looking through his books. I probably have six or seven containers of waterproof book, uh, of waterproof containers full of books and technical information, some of which, which I will show you in a bit. But this gentleman was a self-taught, he called himself a mechanic, but the who's who of racing in Europe and rallying, my brother knew them firsthand. He would go to, he could go to Ford Diablo League and talk with the guys at Pro Drive, talk to the guys at Ford Motorsport on a first basis, first name conversation. Um, I'll just give you, a, I think this story will tell you the, ty- the, the type of person he was, not only from a technical perspective, Mike, but also as a human being. So there's a gentleman in the island that they, they got this kind of ongoing, yearly, uh, friendly competition. And when I heard this, I was blown ap- away. So it's not a friendly competition in the sense of the word of cars or whatever, but building kites. So my brother and him, on a yearly basis, would build a kite and see who won, who would fly better, who was the better built kite. So every year, my brother would build a kite. Um, When uh, he would go and meet with the other gentleman, he told my brother Philippe while he was visiting the island to collect the the, the cars and, and the tools and so forth, he says, you know, your brother built these kites and I, he could easily balance them on a pointer. Any finger you want on your hand, the, the, the kite was perfectly balanced. So one day he's about to get into this competition with his friend. He's getting out of his house um, and a, a kid was walking by and is baffled by this kite. The kite was absolutely stunning. I mean, the kid is there for a while and he's talking with my brother. My brother was the type of person that you will see what I mean by he really cared about people. You know. So he spends months building this kite. He balancing the, 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 the pieces of wood, the flexibility. He's telling me, I mean, he didn't use, you could, if you were you and me, I would go buy the best kite and let's fly it. Well, that's not him. So he balances the pieces of wood, the right strain, whatever, the right design. He doesn't the design is perfect. Everything is balanced. The kid is baffled by this kite. My brother turns around and gives the kite to the kid as a gift. So he goes and sees his friend. He's like, hey, where's your kite? And he tells the story. You know, I built the kite. It was like perfectly balanced again. It was this, da, 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 da. The kid is walking by and he's, I'm talking to the kid. And his eyes must have been like, like, like glaring, like, wow. And I gave it to the kid. So I can't compete this year. So that's the type of a story of a man he was, right? So in reading his uh, his notes, he was self-taught mechanic, but way above and beyond that. This is a gentleman in the 80s that he was already corner balancing cars. He was basically already giving the instructions to the drivers on hydration, things of that na- nature. I it's mean, interesting, too, because it's, it's a small island. Um, yes. You know, it's not... It's not uh, the UK or Spain, like all these other uh, countries that they raced in. It's like he had to be in, you know, engineer it himself and figure it out. Like Mm -hmm. you said before, um, they were doing leaf springs for uh, protection on the underbottom and stuff like that. That's really interesting and really cool. He seems like he was kind of the unsung hero and, you know, there's a lot of big names out there and 
all sorts of racing communities, but those are the guys that are actually getting it done and passing on the information because they're not trying to hold it in for themselves. Like the kite story, yeah. right? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not trying yeah, he to hoard it. And he no, got... right. And you're absolutely right. I think that's, that's what's even more um, poignant, right? It's a small Island. He didn't have his own shop, uh, but you know, this all come, I come to learn all about this from friends and, and whatnot after his passing, because I never knew. Ford from UK came to compete in the island one year with a factory prepped car. If I'm not mistaken, it was a Sierra Cosworth, which was a very competitive car. And they were testing the car before the race and the car would not, would not perform. They were constantly having problems and whatnot. And so someone in the island tells, tells them, listen, you need to talk to uh, Lydia Correa. What? You need to talk to Lydia Correa. So they, they find him. They said, where is his shop? And they keep telling him, go to the hotel. My brother was, was worked in a hotel. Go to the hotel. No, no, where's his shop? Go to the hotel. So they go to the hotel, talk to him. He said, you know what? Meet me in so-and-so place at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'll leave at midnight. I go home. I'll pick up my tools. Meet me in so-and-so place at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sure enough, they meet him up. My brother goes with them, tests the cart, opens up the hood. Does the adjustments, da 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 The guy goes test the car. He said, what the hell did you do? He goes, he had this, this, and this, and this that wasn't working properly. And they couldn't believe it. From then on, you know, they will always come to the island and make sure to talk to Elida Correa, just even as a friend. And I saw it myself. I went to the island in 2003, perhaps. Oh, 20, I went, but I went another year. 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And they were competing. They were competing, and but the, the the one the one team that was doing well was the Fiat team, because they had a factory race car in there. I'll never forget. So we go into the technical padlock, and these cars are racing down for the technical inspection. And all of a sudden, you know, we get into the Fiat padlock, and we can't get in because it's close quarters. The technical director, Giovanni, I'll never forget, comes out. Grabs my brother and me and go, come and check the cars. Oh, what the heck? So we're there, and I'm just like so so appalled. I couldn't believe I was doing that. I mean, these cars are like factory-backed coming out of Milan and <laughs> Italy. What the hell? So we get done. My brother's talking to him. Da, da, da. They give themselves a hug and go by and then back and whatnot, and we leave. And I said, I said, Mano, what was that all about? He said, you see, Giovanni had a heart attack just like me. And since then, we've become very good friends. He calls me every single year to wish me a happy birthday. And I do the same to him. Those are the kind of relationships he had. Wow. Um, the gentleman from ProDrive, if you're familiar with Subarus and whatnot, ProDrive, my brother used to call him and used to get gear sets. They were custom made. He could not get it off the catalog. They were custom made gear sets that he would build onto the race cars. So when he started with this Peugeot 205, uh, the Mini was put aside. The Mini was put aside, and the Mini was not forgotten, but the Mini was supposed to be taken apart to be painted. That's what happened to the Mini. And, and it stayed in there for the ravages of time. It got moved between a few of the shops and so on and so on. But my brother never gave up on the Mini, uh, but life kept going. And it was a dream he always wanted to to put the Mini back on the road. Uh, 
when he passed, we got the mini. But his accomplishments throughout his time was was uh, were, were commendable. Um, you know, when he built the Peugeot two hundred five, which was which was probably where we had. I, I got to see him and had fun because then we immigrated. But the Peugeot that he built is still till today, twenty years later, in front of the pack. The car got sold to the mainland. And the gentleman who drives Porsches and everything, he said, I never forgot that car that your brother built me. I went back, I bought the car, and he came back to the island and we restored the car. And the car is still competitive with things that my brother built. They were custom-made wow. cams from Strick and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Incredible. So the Mini, yeah, that is. So I think it was worth no noting a, a few friends that we will do so at the end, Mike. But... I hope you don't mind. Do you want me to to raise a few of the books that I have collected out of these? Yeah, something. Uh... Yeah, you can raise okay. a couple of them for those that are watching. He has a ton of documents. He'll he'll show them on screen a little bit, explain a few of them, and then um, since it's uh, a lot of people do just listen, we'll kind of go through this. But um, right. we'll uh, send me some pictures too, and I can post them on Instagram so people can see them there as well. Sure. So the first one I have here, Mike, is a, a work book for the car. And basically it's about advanced race car suspension and development. Um, this is probably, I would say, you know, 60s or 70s. Um, this particular book is a paperback. It has all the formulas, a lot of formulas. It was written uh, in the U.S. This is a 75. Another book that I wanted to show in his notings and markings uh, Mike, you're going to get a, a little bit of a uh, <laughs> impressed with this. This is the diagrams that my brother would do for the rally cars and the corner balancing and the spring rates and shots. This is amazing. And so forth, right? <laughs> and this is one of probably, I don't know, 10, 15 books. Let me just go through a few pages to, to tell you, because the other day I was telling you how many cars he did in the island. So this is one, right? So we'll he's showing this book, and it has all of these handwritten notes from your brother of corner balancing notes, formulas, um, yes. diagrams, I mean, etc. Yeah, it goes on and on of the, the rally car, the team, the settings of the engine, the rates of the suspension. I mean, he gives you everything and everything to those that know. He knew, because at times he actually wrote the notes, and that's an interesting story. He would write the notes, but he would write it in a decipher, in a manner that somebody would get their hands on. They wouldn't know what it is. He basically would have it encoded. And that's right. the smartness, right? This is something that, the, you know, the, here's another one. And then you don't know. You look at these things. You're like, how do you read the spring rate over there, the shock absorbing the dimensions? This is legible, but I know that at times you even put to the card that they belong. Because if somebody would get the book, they, they thought it was for a specific car, and it's not. So, this is another one. <laughs> trickery um, of racing <laughs> yeah 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 mike this is another book and i'm pretty sure that people have seen this this is john bassini this is weber carburetors this is theory this is a rare book okay it's an orange cover right and i think i'm going to get a little bit into the kick the kick of the technical ability that you were looking to so this book here is a Scientific Design of Exhaust and Intake Systems, the third edition. I don't know. This is probably in the 70s as well. Here it is, Mike. Uh, so this is like really technical stuff, right? I'll give you another one. And all of these came with your car? 
Is this yes. is all stuff that was basically yeah. Uh, yeah. part of his library? Right. Yeah. yeah. This is competition car suspensions. There's Formula Ones. There's you know design. You know everything tuning. This isn't one of many. Um, so in his spare time, he also did education on practical gas flow of cylinder heads and what happens with the fuel. Um, I will just leave one more and then we'll talk about a story that kind of drives that home. So Mike, in getting into Mini Cooper S's um, and Minis, I donated a book to him uh, only to be brought back and I'm so grateful for it. Again, this wouldn't be possible without our family, our friends, but here it is, look. Still in the cover, <laughs> and it will remain uncovered, unco hardcover, right? And still wrapped from his library, original Mini Cooper S. And this is the book that usually, you know. Yeah, John um, Parnell, if you guys are a Cooper or Cooper S um, enthusiast, the John Parnell uh, original Mini Cooper and Cooper S, <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, book. I have mine actually sitting right here next to me. Um, uh, next to the Yellow Bible as well, and a couple other mini magazines, and of course my uh, work notes and stuff like that, of course. But <laughs> of course, the work yeah. notes are, are the most the most notes you have. <laughs> Not <laughs> so um, about the tuning, Mike, and I think that was quite interesting. There's a story about one of these Mitsubishi Lancer evolutions. Um, he reaches to a gentleman in the UK that does tuning of ECUs, and my brother's talking to him about the microclimates and grades or elevation, uh, quick elevations in Madeira changes and how to, how he needs to tune the car in a different way. And this gentleman on the line says, absolutely not. The tune is absolute perfect. He goes, okay, when you get over here, we're going to go for a ride and, uh, you know, we'll talk about the tuning. So it so goes. I may be watching the story a little bit here. I don't know all the details, but the point is this. The gentleman was taken back how quickly the elevation changes in Madeira when you're in a rally stage. Needless to say, the car, the car had to be completely retuned. And he says, Edidio, if you didn't tell me about this, I would never believe it. And he was like, and my brother's telling him, like, this is the barometric pressure over here, this is here, here. And it's like the elevation is this in so much period of time. This is how many seconds go by, and the guy's like, wow. He says, I, I would never believe it. So the cars had to be custom tuned. My brother was really at the forefront when it came to that. But just as a whole, as a as a whole engineer of a car setup, and I know in in the few times that we visited with him, he was the type of person that really make you at peace, right? He was very silent but very observant. There was nothing that would go past by him. We're it runs in the family. We're very detail oriented, as you could tell. Um, but I remember being spending time with him and him telling us that he had many job offers throughout Europe for these fancy and eloquent uh, rally events or, or um, shops, and he didn't take it. But in Europe, um, once they got to know him, I mean, you should see the faxes that would come to him all the time. So he was um, Portuguese, obviously, uh, learned to speak English, French, German, and write and. I only knew this after he's passing, unfortunately, and looking at his technical notes. Only because, Mike, the other day, a gentleman of ours that provides his parts from Portugal, he has this, a, a, this little car, and I remember, like, a picture of it in one of the books. It so happens to be written in French, and is a very limited edition. The book is 200 euros, Mike. I have one. 
Yes. <laughs> I don't even know if I brought it here. And I'm like, hey, I have that book. And it's like, what do you mean? I said, yeah, it tells you how to do the body changes, the, the suspension, this, that, whatever. All the poor, the special purchases you do. I'm like, yeah, my brother had that book. That Porsche sure enough, tax. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he was, um, you know, to, to paint a picture of what uh, he was able to do. And I'm sure that he was reserving that to do for his Mini as well. He basically would come with a body shell and he'll build you a race car. And he would know how to build the suspension, you know, uh, he would set up and build the differentials, the gearbox, the engine, everything. So there was nothing that you could have, there was nothing that you need when you come out of there. He wouldn't even do the alignment for you, depending if you want the rear loose or tight. And, and he did all that. So uh, it was definitely multifaceted in, in being able to put the car together. Mm -hmm. Um one story that I come to learn about, and, and I think that probably is just as an example of his ability and, and I'm sure on, on what he ultimately envisioned doing with the Cooper. They have in, in Portugal, they had a European uh, cup for Citroën. And there was this famous company in France that uh, sold the kits to upgrade the car. And these were bench-tested kits. And then, you know, stage one kit gives you, you know, say 160 horse, stage two kit gives you 190 and so on and so on. So this gentleman who uh, is Ricardo Ramos, he has his own shop and that's a place where my brother used to build engines and transmissions and locking differentials and all these things. He says, you know, I had uh, Citroen one at the time. And my crew chief was building the car and whatnot. And I, I broke eight engines in that season he said you know so i was on my eighth engine and finally somebody says you know why don't you go and talk to elidio correa who elidio correa believe me he'll he'll build you the car the way you want it so he goes to my brother and my brother says look i'm i'm currently tied up with a car that i'm doing and i would have to leave that team to be able to join you and build you the car so this season Let's not do it official. I'll I'll build you the car, and let's see where you go. But tell me, wh who is building your engine? Where do you stand? He says, look, I just broke my eighth engine this season, and I am currently have the ninth engine in the car. I'll let you know Saturday how it goes because it's the race. Sure enough, Ricardo gets on the car, ta-da-ta-da, boom, breaks the, the engine, I think, third or third stage or whatever it was. So he calls my brother. He said, I'll tell you what, we'll build you, a, we'll build you an engine, but it has to be for the next season. So sure enough, Ricardo orders another, you know, short <laughs> block from whatever. My brother builds him an engine. He said, you know, for you to be competitive, you know, there's only number one and there's nobody else. So you have to build an engine with the best of the parts. You cannot expect the engine to last if you don't put the money into it and, and whatnot. So sure enough, how much is it? My brother says, it's X. You got to buy these, 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 and these. Sure enough, he buys the parts, comes from France all the way to the island. He builds the engine, and my brother says to him, look, the engine with these parts are in the, in the dyno are rated for 180 horse. This is the most that can get out of this, but you'll be competitive in your class. But to determine if we have done a good job, we should really take the engine to the stand again and make sure everything is good. He goes, well, there's no engine, there's no dyno in Madeira. There's no dyno in the mainland. 
the dyno is back in France. How much is it? Uh, how much is it to ship the engine and get it done? He goes, it's ten thousand euros to get the engine shipped into the bench and back. Oh wow! Okay, you know what? Give me until tomorrow. The story goes that Ricardo ships the engine from the island to the mainland. A friend of his puts it in the back of a pickup and drives all the way from mainland Portugal through Spain to France to where the this engine builder who had sold the parts had the dyno. So he tests the engine and he calls my brother. He goes, uh, you know, this engine did well, but you don't have the standard kit one in here because you got 184 horse out of this engine. My brother goes to him, if if uh, I don't have the standard kit, it's because he sold me the upgraded parts. He goes, no, no, that, no, it can't be. He says, well, then whatever you sold me, that's what I built, and yeah, I got 184 horse, right? He goes, yep. Sends the engine back. He calls Ricardo. He goes, Ricardo, you know, the engine got to the bench, and I got to tell you, it didn't go well. They broke the engine. And Ricardo is about to like start crying. He goes, "No, it didn't. It made 184 horse." He goes, "But it was 180." <sighs> he tells me that it made 184, so that's what we're gonna race. <laughs> <laughs> hand built, hand built in the island. That's what it did. It outperformed a factory built car or a factory built engine from from some renowned people, and and he did it with his own hands. That's that's how he puts all the, that he had learned into practice. He took pride in his his work. Yeah, he did, and he was very humble, uh, very reserved. He didn't it's good. Advertise. It's a good uh, lesson to you know a lot of. I, uh... Yeah, he he didn't he didn't he didn't say much, um, but I think it spoke. The results spoke for themselves. He just let his engine speak for himself. I want to get into guys um, a little bit of. I want to get into a little bit of like what is your plans for restoring it? I know, you, like I said earlier in the podcast, Marco's a new old stock king. He's been collecting parts for a long time. I think for this, are you trying to bring it back to a certain spec? Are you trying to do a mm-hmm. uh, complete like nut and bolt restoration? What do you? What's your plans for it? So. Uh, my brother and I complement each other. We are identical twins where I can have probably a little bit of fair advantage on details and certain peculiarities of the car. He excels. He's an electrical engineer, professional engineer. I'm mechanical. So we both complement each other. He plays in, in that field, but we both um, basically mechanically uh, capable. The idea, Mike, is to rebuild the car to be even better than new. Better than new from a perspective of not in bulk restoration to be respectful of its history. Hence, some, certain items will not be as fresh new uh, because as part of its racing conversion and evolution, it, it had these parts installed. Um, so what we've been doing, the whole process kind of started, Mike, and I got to mention a gentleman here and many others, but I will, I will mention a few names that they become, they were my brother's friends and great respect for him. And we have great respect for them. To me, they were idols, particularly Stefan, uh, Vash Fusiva with his 205 GTI, Ricardo Franco, 
uh, Vashkin, which is Vashkseva's son, Guilherme Mimoso, I mean, uh, Elvio Lumes, uh, and many others. My brother probably will m mention a few names. I am not leaving Agus anyone. Lumos. Right. I will not leave anybody out of this. But So the story is when we got the car, it was incredibly mentally, physically, and emotionally distressful for us. Imagine we had to fly, my brother had to fly to Madeira to collect 40-year-plus collection of parts, books. Uh, my brother even made custom uh, parts. I will show you this. So this is half of the draft shaft with a nut and a, and a socket welded onto it. And this itself, my brother used for setting up the tension on the differentials, the LSDs. So this is a homemade tool. Wow. Right? right? This is one. I have another one here, and a couple of them. Uh, you probably have seen this, Mike, probably when they do the uh, commercial grade versions, but here's a homemade tool with aluminum wheels on with a pointer. This is for the tension on the belt. And basically as it turns, it tells you how many degrees you've done it. This is a homemade tool, right? Yep. Tool. And he used to torque the, the head bolt to that as well. Right. Um, There's another but... one here. Hold on please, one second. There's another one here, Mike. Um, this is quite interesting. So my brother invested a lot of money in his tools, but the tools that he had were Ferrari grade tools, the same tools that Ferrari uses. That's what he used. Here are two tools, Mike. They look exactly the same, right? This is to adjust the shock observers. Well, I can tell you that if you look at the mark here, there's a five con mark here. This is the, an official tool. This is another yeah. yeah. This is another one that is a name brand. Hey, both feel different. Why would he have this and then have this? Well, this is much lighter. If you were to feel this, it's almost half the weight as this one. So imagine now you're on a racetrack and you're setting up or a rally stage, setting up the shock observers. Which, which one would cause less strain, right? Oh, it's out of everything. Right. Oh, yeah. I have another one here and I'll finish with this. But I think I told you I would do a little show and tell. So <laughs> my brother was saying that he would do custom tools. This is a stainless steel T-handle, right? Welded onto an ARP bolt uh, here, right? Welded by his friend, probably Elvin Looms. And he would he set was. it up on the cylinder head and or whatever, and he will set it up, done. Next. That's what he would do, right, to build engines. Um, so <clears throat> the dream for the Mini, um, the dream to the Mini is to bring it back to its racing spec we're not going to do a uh, factory restoration because the, the the history of the car would i think be erased to an extent if we bring it back to any other cooper s i agree um so we are still debating whether we're going to bring it into the last iteration with the group five or the group two spec uh, i think it would, it would be helpful to mention why this has been so much of a tumultuous uh, uh effort. Um, the car was put away to get painted and uh, during that 40-year hibernation, many of its parts got lost or stolen. And so we basically got the shell with, thankfully and gratefully, the original transmission, the original uh, engine, uh, the original glass, uh, the original mini light wheels and the cosmic wheels and suspension. The bucket seats, steering column, and speedometer. That's basically what we got. Um, so now we are on this quest to get all the parts back, to put the car back 
in the very least to a Cooper S spec. So then we kind of understand what do we need to restore and, and bring it back to the street. So first is getting all the parts to, to make a complete vehicle, get all the parts, restore it, and put it back. Uh, we will keep the straight gear box. We will keep the original 1380cc engine. We just uh, procured uh, an original Cooper S radiator. Uh, we've gotten a pair of Sov um, Marshall Amplilux headlights back uh, and some other parts. But we found through this journey that it's very difficult to find original parts. Uh, and maybe the people that do have them at times don't want to sell them. Um, I must say that seven enterprises have been helpful. Uh, a gentleman out in Washington State um, was able to source us uh, was able to source us uh, a, a brake booster, an original brake booster. Uh, Mini Parts DJ Mini Parts in Florida was able to get us the sun the, the I wouldn't say the the headliner frames that that was missing. Uh, we drove to upstate New York to go get the, the right-hand tank that was had been stolen as well. So we got the tank now. Trevor and, Rogers, uh, Trevor Rogers. And, and Mike, I'm sorry. We will make a little mention of a few people here. I think this is fitting right at this moment. So we've been traveling at this digitally all over the world, my friend. I'm sorry, Flip, one second. So we've been traveling all over the world for parts. We've been in UK, Portugal, uh, we've been Netherlands, Germany, U.S., England. So a few names have come to to play here. Nick Rogers, obviously, for those that are familiar with minis, right? Jonathan Clapp, who I bought the speedometer and gauges from, we became good friends. He's like my uh, uh, Santa Claus in July. He basically gets all the packages, uh, rightfully so, and appreciate it. He puts it in his home and sends it to us. Uh, Mark Steffen who has like some incredibly good and rare parts. I mean, to the point that I buy the original BMC decal, so it goes on the Cooper S um, that was fitted to the rally cars. Uh, Nigel and Kim Brazier, I apologize if I misspell the names or mispronounce the names. Uh, I've got a significant amount of uh, replica parts and, and parts for, for the Cooper S um, that were fitted in the worst cars for, for our car. Uh, Andy Barras, where we got the racing harnesses from right um ed um ed with ado equipment frank phillips who actually has worked on many vehicles we got some uh, badging and a few things from him uh, kevin kidman he's my uh go-to bud with with a lot of mini coopers and you know i just want to be clear for people that are listening to us that we do look for nos parts original parts some of which we're still looking we don't have a I mean, there's more parts than money, obviously. And some of these people have been graciously so uh, on a word-to-mouth gentleman's agreement that, you know, when we cannot buy the parts outright, we'll make a few payments on the parts and so forth and, and get them. I mean, Mike, you know that how expensive these could be, particularly NOS. If I tell you some prices of some of the items, they will look back and say, you paid what? But to me... To me, that is what this car means, right? And knowing my brother, how he worked on these things, he only did the best. So now we're doing the best for him. Um, 
I agree. I think that's the only way that car should be restored. You know, it's right. it's going to be a showstopper for sure. Yes. And whether it's group two, group five, I think it's going to turn out amazing to see it back in race trim, fully restored, ready to rock and roll again. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see it for sure. If don't I don't know. know if the neighbors are going to be appreciative of the exhaust. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I hope you don't mind if I shout out for a few more people here. Go um, for it. So, Mario Fernandes, Pedro Carvalho, Fernando Madeira, which is a gentleman that uh, make me works, and, and he restored our uh, you know original speedometer and who has done the speed on work speedometer replica that I got from Jonathan Clapp. Uh, Rui Abreu, who has himself a significant amount of KAD minis, and I mean, I don't speak with him frequently, but the good story is this gentleman has a, a, a business of restoring high-end Aston Martins and, and Bentleys uh, in terms of bodywork and painting. I call him the modern-day Ferrari. He basically makes his living to buy minis, and he jokingly says, yeah, you're correct. So in one of our de- our purchases of these uh, speedwell harnesses, or actually, I may I stand corrected, the, the speedwell harnesses or harnesses sold through speedwell uh, were obviously Andy had them, and Huya whom I will never forget, and never met this gentleman. He lives in mainland, was is from Madeira. He forwarded the money to 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 make this purchase happen. I mean, my brother Philippe, thank you so much, and we have it um, in Madeira. So again, I mentioned a few names that I don't mean to leave anyone out, but Stefan for sure, Daniel, Stefan's son, uh, Ricardo Franco, Vasco Silva, Vasco Sandrasquinho, Mimoso, Elvio Luma, Egas Luma, um, Carlos Alberto Freitas, obviously my, my family, my sister-in-law, Tanya and Sarah, who are my, my beautiful nieces, and my late brother's uh, daughters. I mean, without them, particularly when it came to the Peugeot, this would never happen. We would never have the car back. Um, I won't disclose many of the details, but I can tell you there was having that call with whom somebody I did not know, such as Vasco, and become a good friend. I mean, this gentleman had already the car in his possession. He says, you could have it. You are the only person that this car would go to other than keeping it in my household. And my brother, Philippe, we, we managed to do it. I love it. It's awesome. I, you know, this story is super cool and I know I've talked to you about it for about, like I said, a year. And I think it's just incredible story. The lineage that your car went through the people behind it and all the people that you named, you know, it doesn't, this isn't just a, Hey, I'm going to pay somebody to build this car. This, this takes a lot of people to find the records. And I think, it deserves that and you guys deserve Mm -hmm. that. And I appreciate you guys jumping on here, sharing the story. Um, That was incredible. How about we Mm -hmm. end it with a little Patty probe questions? How about that? I don't know. Have have you, uh, have you listened to the podcast? Do you know what the Patty probe is? No, but, but I'm willing to take place in it. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have, uh, I have some questions here. Uh, we can either rapid fire, you can elaborate a little bit. They're just fun little questions about minis. Sure. Um, I think we might know this answer, but what is your favorite mini variant? 
Huh. Of course, the Cooper S for me, it is that. <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy one. I think Mike is the one that runs and doesn't leak, but that <laughs> that's a good that's a good answer. Um, uh, how many minis do you currently own, and how many have you owned? Is that your only mini? Yes, that is the only and only mini that we have owned. We have own we own several vehicles, obviously. We love cars. My brother at times, Philippe, gets it. Tells me I get too excited, but I just love cars uh, <laughs> in general. Uh, he has uh, uh, quite a few Triumph TR6s and MGBs. Um, I have a few MGBs. I have also um, uh, Porsche 944 Turbo and, and a few other things. So I enjoy cars as a general, but minis, this is the only one. I guess it's that British kind of classy look um that really captivates me and simplicity yeah. by the way mike right this is simplicity yeah, of it it's true yeah, yeah. here's a uh, interesting one i usually ask what's your favorite modification but when it comes to your car what's the favorite maybe modification your brother did or one of these new old stark stock parts that you're you're really excited about putting on hmm that is going to be i will take this uh, and then i'll let Flip get in but there's a few gentlemen in, in France. Well, one I forgot to mention, but Toby Sieb has been incredible in terms of getting the technical know-how of the cars, I mean, minis and so forth. But I have a few good friends in, in France. Charles, my friend, mon ami, apologies if I misspell your last name, Rosalind, uh, Frank, there's two, two Franks, one of which I cannot say the name because he, he has his own mini shop. And I could tell you there was a humbling and most rewarding experience is here's a gentleman that has his own shop. The conversation started as he was unable to help us with parts, particularly NOS because of his business. And out of the blue, Mike, I post these things uh, on a private um, group, one for to keep people informed of our progress and also be respectful of my late brother who was very reserved. So I will never make that a public uh, group it has to be reserved. And I get this um, message from Frank. He says, hey, I might have that badge that you're looking for. Lord and behold, it was a Morris Cooper S NOS front badge. Wow. And I got it. I was, I mean, not for what stands, Frank, if you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you do, I'm incredibly happy and thrilled and honored to have it. For somebody who has a, a business of its own, rather than use it in his Concourse restoration and keep and, and allow us the, the opportunity through excitement and being involved in the story as many others to forego of that part, Mike. That was truly one of a kind. That is a cool pick. So yeah. for uh, as for myself, what is the what is the the modification that I like the most? I think the car as a whole is is um, phenomenal. I'm sure that that. Uh, it's not going to be. It's not a figment of my imagination that when it's done, it will do honors to the original configuration uh, for the rally. I would say that perhaps the speedwell upgrades, and in particular, with the camshaft that it had and the exhaust system, mm -hmm. to me probably is going to be the icing on the cake, so to speak. Um, we we are. Marco mentioned that that uh, we have. He has been posting and done a great job uh, in, on Facebook, and it's it's private. But by all means, if any of the listeners would like to see the progress, uh, I'm sure that Marco and I I wouldn't object to to have you join. 
It's just that we want to be, uh, you know, respectful of, of uh, having it a little bit more private. Of but course. We could share with everyone the passion. And uh, anyone who, who might have some parts, we'll have a list that we put together. And if you're able to help, <laughs> by all means, we'll make it. Uh, there we go. Line. Hey, you, this, this show might get you some more parts. Who knows? Yeah, whatever mm-hmm. you guys uh, send me at the end, we'll you know I'll post in the show notes. Um, if there's a certain group that maybe people can join to to look at, or you know, I know your Instagram has a, a little bit, um, but it gives mm-hmm. you an idea at least. You can save the the best for the reveal at the end, perhaps. But uh, that's cool. And here's here's the last Patty Probe question: If you could could have a drink, beer, tea, tea, coffee, whatever your your drink of choice is, with one mini celeb, who would it be? Patty Hardkick. I think I would be the guy. I mean, I mean, I would I would be incredibly. There's other things that come to mind, but you're saying celebrity. I think going back to the 60s and having these guys talk firsthand, mm-hmm. what they were able to do with the car, how they got there. I mean, it would be incredibly um, humbling. And not only that, I think it would be also with the supporting, the, the, the magic behind the curtains. Have the crew over there tell you the things. I mean, I think a lot of the history, Mike, even written in these books is basically lost in terms yeah. of translation and documentation, that if you were to, able to speak with them firsthand, it would be such an everlasting experience that I think it would be far above and beyond, not only for me, Mike, but pretty much the, the listeners here, above the expectations. It would be schooled on minis, per se. Right? <laughs> yeah. I would, uh, I would second that, but I would say you would be a rally driver, but perhaps someone who doesn't get as much um, credit as it should. It would be Mrs. Moss, you know, uh, Mr. Sterling Moss's sister who had race meanies at the time. Mm. Good answer. Mm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome stories, guys. I appreciate you guys coming on and telling it. Um, like I said, for those that were just listening, I'll try to get some pictures from these two uh, to post up on Instagram, um, and, and my Facebook page, whatever that they think is appropriate. I know there's some Mm -hmm. cool documents, some cool, uh, vintage pictures of their car racing. Um, so again, guys, I appreciate you being on, um, any last words, any, um, plugs, where can they find you? Do you want to plug that or I'll just throw it in the show notes. It's up to you guys. Yeah, you can. So I go on Facebook as a, as a, um, respect to my brother as Sinews Jr. MC. That's basically the name I go through also on Instagram. Um, if you hit me up or if you're willing to participate or hear about the story, uh, I'm sure to, willing to share it. I'm not saying that this is above and beyond anybody else's story, but it's a significant story. Uh, we're still developing some parts that we're looking for. That's secondary. I really, you know, we have Don and Scene, we have Frank with Mini Obsession and many others who are coming to the rescue uh, to help us. And I think it's because of the story itself and, and seeing the enthusiasm that we have. We may have dimmed a little bit because of Christmas and so forth, but we have not slowed down. And Mike, it's really tough to get the right parts. And you know me, I can get really down the rabbit hole on period <laughs> correct, date coded, or oh, yeah. NOS. And, and some people tell me, hey, listen, you need to chill. I'm like, uh, okay. but And it's quite interesting. Uh, and so, yes, I mean... We really, we really humbled for the family, friends, and the support of many others. Even you, Mike, when we we chat and we play around a little bit, I am incredibly thankful for your response. 
for our sense of humor, for allowing us here on the show today. I mean, we talked for an hour and a half. Hopefully people will be sitting down, chilling a glass of wine or whatever it will be, and enjoy the story. Probably more to come, who knows. But we're incredibly happy for you, Mike, and for starting this mini life podcast. That was the best New Year gift I got was uh-huh. your was your plug of the mini life. I really love it, and I hope that probably I'll be a little sample of you and start something either from a technical perspective or a podcast itself, because I truly love and breathe cars when I come to it. You can tell I'm rubber lips. I just keep going. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind uh, words, guys. I will, you know, uh, echoing that thought. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, as far as as the plugs, I wouldn't say is is a self promotion or whatnot. But um, any anyone who would like to to join uh, the the history on that that's unfolding on Facebook, uh, offer kind words and support. Uh, I think it will go a long way. Uh, Mike, I wanted to commend you for having the podcast, for everything that you've done and are doing for the community. Uh, who knows, there might be opportunities for us to to leverage our knowledge and, and yours and, and help whoever needs help. It's, uh, they're not building minis like those anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do everything that we can to keep the ones on the road if we do enjoy it. I um, agree. All okay. right, guys, I appreciate okay. you guys tuning in. Follow us at Mini Life. Dot 37 and see you next time. Bye.